Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Okay. That took me three tries, but I finally got on the air. I'm not sure what's going on, but we're here. I'm glad to be here. Actually, I wanted to be on the air tonight. I'm testing out a new microphone. So let me know if you like it, if the sound is better. We're doing some upgrades around here, moving forward by faith, believing for big things, and just wanting to have Firefall Talk Radio ready for them. We uh, are glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Um, Interesting times. Celebrated a birthday this weekend. Somebody might say, how old are you, Richard? Well, it depends on how you look at it. If you do the uh, Pentecostal numerology thing where you keep adding numbers together until you get what you want, you know, two numbers become one, I'm three years old. Or I could be 12 years old. Or I could be 66 years old. Truth is, I could be any of those at any given moment. But I'm so glad to be here here with you. I'm going to go into the community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, go right to the sound of the shofar coming up next. But if you want to be a part of this, praise reports, prayer requests, make sure you go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button. You can write us at the porch. At firefalltalkradio.com, you can go into the uh, Firefall Messenger group for the porch and say, hey, this is my praise report and prayer request. But remember, if you don't let me know to share it on the air, I'm not going to do that. And I'm also not going to use your last name. So we try to keep the family aspect as open and as private as possible, if that's possible. So I always praise the Lord first. Praise Him all the time. Praise Him when I get up. Praise Him when I lie down. I praise the Lord. Praise Him for my salvation. I praise Him for my wife, my sons, daughter-in-laws, my grandson, all of our furry kids. Furry kids. I swallowed an R there. Probably come out later in a word that it doesn't belong in. Um, I'm just blessed beyond measure. Praise Him for His provision. And his protection for the dreams and the visions. We're living out Joel 2.28. Remember that on the day of Pentecost, when the fire fell and the Spirit filled the upper room and went into the disciples and out into the church, it's still going on. That's what Joel was prophesying in chapter 2. We're living it out, so live in it. I praise him for his healing virtues and his health that he gives us for his divine abiding favor, for the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit, for making us new creations and allowing us to live in these prophetic times. Don't let it distress you. Don't let it get you all agitated and anxious. He told us these things would happen and not to worry, not to be anxious. But he gave us warning signs and markers so that we would know where we are in prophecy. If we're going to do that, then we should pray. We start out by praying for 
Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Pray for America. You know, right now we're all going through stuff in the nations, in the world. Sri Lanka's government has been overturned. Israel's got to have new elections. Um, Unfortunately, we have to wait for 2024. But anyway, we need God's grace. We need his help. We need his intervention. I pray for all the people being victimized by their leaders in those countries who are not living in accordance with God's will. I'm, I'm completely off here. This, this delay threw me off, so who knows what I'll say and do. But while on the treadmill yesterday at the gym, I was talking to the Lord about politics and about all these things. And he said to me very clearly, Do not expect the world to live by my laws and my rules. You, my children, are supposed to live by my rules and my laws. And by doing so, you will influence others to do the same and to change them. But what he was saying to me is what I already knew. The world system belongs to Hasatan and the fallen. And the only way we're going to change it is by changing people and doing what he said. So I pray for the people. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the innocents, the poor in spirit, and those that are victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, for missing and exploited children, for the victims of human sex trafficking. We don't see it as much in the news as we saw um, previously, but it's still happening. People are being rescued. Lives are being redeemed. Praying for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. That religious persecution, the spirit of anti-Semitism, the spirit of the Antichrist. We've seen it before, and we're going to see it one more time, and then the Lord's going to shut it down. So I'm praying against those plans and standing up against it. I pray you will too. Praying for divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. We can't do what he's called us to do while we're fighting sickness, illness, injury, and disease. Well, we, I mean, let me rephrase that. It would be better and we could be more productive. But the truth is I'm going to do it no matter what. And I hope you will too. I'm praying for each and every one of you that are injured or sick right now in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. Turn to him Believe in him. If you are a born-again believer, you have the authority inside of you. You have the ability to speak his name and to speak the word. Remember who you are in the midst of what you're going through. Praying for divine protection and inspiration for the remnant to answer the alarm clock. It's time to wake up. Time to go to work. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. We need kingdom finances for kingdom business and so that the doors and the things we need to do for him that will open and all the things that he's planned would happen. Don't really have any others called in uh, or sent in. I'm just going to continue to ask for prayer for our son Chris's dog, Kyrie. Kyrie's ill. She has some great days and not great days, and every day is a blessing, and we just love our furry kids. And they are a blessing to us. So, you know what? If you if you believe in that and you love animals, please pray for her. We have an old girl, Sarah. Don't know how much time she has left, but we're going to love her in every minute of it. Like you love us, Father. You love us every second of every hour of every day. For you, there is no time. You just exist. Therefore, your love just exists. It has no time limit on it. Thank you for that. Thank you for stacking things in our favor in regards to your love. We thank you for Yeshua. For loving us so much that you sent him to pay our debts. So Lord Adonai, we come to you humbly, at times broken, tearful, happy, Sneezy, dopey, and all the dwarves. Yeah, he just wrote that down in his book. He keeps track of all the silliness of the, <laughs> that I say, but I love him so much. I was telling him that today. 
Lord, I, I pray each every every person listening would know you that way, would know your love, would feel your presence, would be able to joke with you and sit in the throne room with you, fellowshipping with you. You've offered us that. I pray that all your children would partake of it. Thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit so that we could be always connected with you in the throne room to do and and think and to hear and to sing and to praise in your presence, because in your presence is the fullness of joy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for walking with us, putting up with us, teaching us. We ask you, bless this technology, bless the time, let your will be done. And if you agree with me, just simply say amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're continuing the Days of Noah theme. We're going to look at the aspect of God's love, that he sustained humanity until he could redeem us. The title of uh, this Bible study is called The Genesis of Love, because we're in Genesis. And in doing my research for the days of Noah teaching I've been doing with you, four, five, six weeks, whatever this is, I began to see his love in a way that I'd not seen before. You see, the flood wasn't about destroying the world, but cleansing it and protecting the only redeemable people, Noah and his family. If you believe, as I believe, in Genesis 6 and the incursion of the Watchers and the interbreeding with the daughters of Adam and the Nephilim and all that, Noah was perfect in all his generations. His bloodline was pure, and that was the bloodline the Lord chose to sustain. But as I began this work on this Bible study, actually yesterday, the first scripture that came to mind isn't in Genesis It's in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Holman Bible Handbook says, There can be little doubt that this section in John's Gospel is the most renowned in all of Scripture, with verse 16 serving as the most familiar single verse in all of the Bible. There's a good reason for this, for John 3.16 represents the clearest, simplest statement of the good news Messiah came to bring to the world. What is that good news? First, that God loves you. Second, that God's love was so great that he sent his only son to tell the world about God's love. Third, that anyone who will believe in God's son will never die, but will live forever with God. Belief, of course, means far more than the mere intellectual assent or agreement. Rather, it means placing one's life and trust in complete surrender to the one in whom you believe. That's really what it's all about. That's what ministry is all about. It's not about anything other than what I just read to you, God's love. But if we know John chapter 3, we know Yeshua talking to Nicodemus, talks to him, talks to him. Boy, I just got hit by it. I don't even know what that was. It was the spirit, but it was different. Maybe the feeling of, of happiness and contentment. God's love. Wow. He was talking to Nicodemus about being born from above. Why? What made that so important? Well, we see it in Genesis, but the to be born again is a gift 
from God through the Holy Spirit as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. To be born again is to become a member of God's family through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, initiated by our repentance and the desire to lead a new life for the honor and glory of Messiah. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you remember, he compared being born of the water and born of the Spirit. Well, in a way, Noah and his family were born of the water. But Yeshua's purpose was never when he came to condemn the world. That's something people do through their own willful choices. They choose whether to reject him or receive him. But his primary pur- purpose His heartfelt purpose was to save the world. So let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, when you hear that, I want you to visualize in your head a potter forming the clay of the ground until it became a man, and then breathing his own spirit, his rock, into this clay figure, giving it life. And that life became muscles and sinews and veins and capillaries and organs because as he breathed it in there, it created man from the essence of God. Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed his spirit into the nostrils, the breath of life, and man, Adam, Madama, from the red clay, became a living being, personally molded by the love of God. All creation up to that point spoken into existence, Adam, personally formed by the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And then he creates the Garden of Eden from the ground, trees and plants, and he places Adam in it. So here you have man made from the ground, trees and plants from the ground, created from the same ground Adam was. There was supposed to be a symbiosis, a symbiotic relationship to sustain and empower him forever. But you know what? That's the act of a loving father. He didn't just bring him into the world. He gave him the ability to exist in that world perpetually, which is what would have happened had Adam not sinned. But we will get it back, folks. We will have it again. So far, everything up to that moment is personal and loving. And then the relationship is broken. We know what happens. Hasatan through the serpent deceives Eve. Eve bites the fruit. Adam bites the fruit. Snake bites the dust. Yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. And then he said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now remember, this ground was a blessing. From this ground came Adam and came the trees and the plants and the fruits and everything, but now it's been cursed Because of sin and rebellion, it goes on, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. From out of it you are taken, from dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, I don't 
we don't have any idea of what his heart was feeling when he said that. But that was not his original intention. Now, this broken relationship leads to bloodshed and sin when Cain kills Abel. And then in Genesis 4, the Lord God confronts him and says, What have you done? The voice of your brother cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. Wait, we went from the grounds cursed. Now Cain is cursed. It says, because it has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Bloodshed cursed the ground. It cursed the lineage of Cain. We know Adam had a third son, Seth, which started the new bloodline in the image of Adam. You know, when you look at this, we can get caught up in the begats and the begots and the whoever's and all that stuff. But you have to look at it from the fact of love and family and blood. I'm a New York Italian. I've kind of made that pretty clear. I was raised with the fact that blood is important. Of course, most Italian families I've met are broken and dysfunctional. But the fact is, it's still family and you're still blood. So for me to become a born-again believer and read this, I get it. Genealogy is important. In the day that God created man, he made him in the image, the likeness of God. Adam is the form, the image, the likeness of Almighty God. Verse 2 of Genesis 5, somebody should send it to the World Health Organization. He created them male and female. And blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Here we go, the continuation of God's loving image, Adam. And after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Jumping to Genesis 6, starting verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Anything that breathed the air was going to be destroyed, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Unmerited favor, but I believed he looked at Noah and saw Noah's bloodline was pure. Noah's bloodline and family had not been tainted. He saw Adam. Noah pleased God, just like his great-grandfather Enoch did. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was the just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. A pattern's emerging here. The Lord God is always making a way of redemption for humanity, even as it self-destructs. So when you watch the news like I do and you get frustrated and you, you at times wish you would just get on with it. Remember, the loving heart of the Father is looking for a way to redeem mankind. So he tells Noah in Genesis 6, Behold, I myself will and bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And I believe that's because the the fallen watchers and the Nephilim corrupted everything they could interact with on the earth. But this, here we go, verse 18, Genesis 6. This is love. But I will establish my covenant with you. Speaking to Noah. And you shall go into the ark. You your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. 
family. God is a God of family. Then we jump to Genesis 6, verse 1. The Lord God said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Wait a second. Come into the ark. He doesn't say go into the ark. It means come into the ark, which means he's with them. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Jumping down to verse 15. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, the animals of all the flesh, which is the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded them, and the Lord shut them in. Lord, God took the responsibility for the eradication outside the ark. He said, I am bringing the floodwaters. But he also took it upon himself for the protection within the ark. And then he seals them in. His hand did it all. Oh, come on now. If I was in a room, somebody would be saying amen. God's hand is always involved. His hand is always there. What we see in the, the, the notes on the Old Testament book of Genesis there was a simple grandeur in the threefold description of the entrance of Noah and his retinue into the ark, first in the command, next in the actual process during the seven days, and lastly in the completed act on the seventh day. Every living thing after its kind is here unaccompanied with the the epithet of evil or the qualifying term of the land or the field. Therefore, we have to take it within the context that all the events, all of the wild animals, all of the things that God chose to sustain humanity was greater than even that of pre-flood antediluvian man. Oh, my goodness, what a condemnation to those on the earth. My animals are better than you. Sometimes I feel that way when I look at his creation today. And the Lord shut him in, it says. This is fitting to close the scene. The whole work was manifestly the Lord's doing from first to last. Oh, man, you see... You see Abraham here when he made the covenant with Abraham and and he put Abraham to sleep and he walked within the, the pieces of the uh, carcasses by himself. He's doing it. He did it here first. And then he does it on Calvary. Oh, the grandeur of this picture. Holman Bible Dictionary says... The consequence of sin was the great flood, a catastrophe so enormous that all life and institutions perished from the earth. God's grace was still active in preserving a remnant on the ark. In response to the worship of his people, God promised never again to destroy the earth so long as history ran its course. He preserved a remnant. He always preserves a remnant. That's why I preach to the remnant. That's why I believe we're the remnant. We're not looking to have our ears tickled. We're not looking to build our own kingdoms. We're here to serve him and further his kingdom and glorify him and to praise him and to give him back the love that he's given us. But you, you go to Genesis 8 and we see more of his love. So they land, the, the waters recede. Noah builds an altar, and he offers burnt offerings on the altar of every clean animal and every clean bird. Well, that must have stunk. You survived the flood. You make it to the other side. <clears throat> now you're a sacrifice. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. Boy, we we, we as people, as his children have really done grievous harm to his creation, haven't we? And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. 
although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He said it in his heart. He said it from love. And then what he does, he he reaffirms his promise to Noah a blessing and dominion just like he did to Adam. Because in Genesis 9, he tells Noah and his sons, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the field, on every bird of the air, and all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand, dominion. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's part of the fall, unfortunately. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood by his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. This bloodshed that Satan and the fallen have inspired us to partake in. I don't mean us individually here on the porch, I mean collectively. Has created a problem. Because once again, he's going to have to straighten things out and clean up our mess. But there's a reason for this blood issue. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the by reason of the life which it represents, Leviticus 17, 11. And then he goes on in Genesis 9, he says, be, As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. And then he speaks directly to Noah and his sons. He says, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. That's all of us. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all the things that go out of the earth, of every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and call, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. What a corruption they've done to the symbol of the rainbow. But I know what it means. Genesis 9 tells me it means the covenant between him and us. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, and that rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting, everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh on the earth. God says to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh on the earth. Now the sons of Noah went out of the ark with Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. And from these the whole earth was populated. He says basically the same thing. Adam in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. I've given you dominion. But from Noah... A new humanity is springing. He and his sons are called on to exercise dominion over all the earth as the image of God. And the sign of the permanence of that arrangement was the rainbow. Well, it's really interesting that it's the bloodline and the people of Ham that have stolen the rainbow. 
one-third of his sons, unfortunately, were not good. Well, I had to pick a word there. They were just not good. Ham brought trouble on the earth. Dominion was supposed to be a part of the equation. Not that we would lord over anything, but that we would tend to it, that we would protect it, that we would be in charge of it. We have been such poor stewards of his creation. Psalm 8, 6, speaking about man, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The Nelson Study Bible, New King James Version says, God created human beings as majestic creatures who were to rule over his creation. But in our fallen state, we are profoundly disfigured, a perversion of the majesty God has intended. However, Jesus restores those who put their trust in him. In Messiah, we recover majesty. In him, we become the people that God wants us to be. Whenever we feel worthless, the words of Psalm 8 should encourage us. We and all other human beings are valuable because God himself created us in his own glorious image, takes us back to Adam. The love he felt for Adam, even though Adam did what he did, caused the problems that he caused, he put that upon Noah. And it passed down through Noah and his lineage and was given to us, the relationship with him. And because of his love, we were supposed to be his representatives on the earth with dominion, with authority. And when relationship was broken, dominion was lost. Nehemiah 9.28 mentions that. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hands of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. And when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Whenever, whenever we lose our way, whenever we disobey, whenever we become selfish and self-centered and give in to the flesh and give in to the world, we create a scenario where we give up our dominion to the world, and we know who the God of this world is. But he always delivers us according to his mercies. No matter what we've done from Adam to now, no matter what you and I or anybody has done, he kept working for us. He kept working with us to restore us to right relationship. Oh my goodness, do you get it? Do you get how deep his love is? That he couldn't let it go. He could have just wiped it all out, started over and just said, that's it, I'm done. He couldn't do it because the love he felt for Adam when he created it got passed on. But he still couldn't be with us. He needed a redeemer. Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Don't take Israel out of the equation, folks. Don't listen to these preachers and teachers that says the church has replaced Israel. No, we've been grafted into the vine in accordance with Paul teaches in Romans. Isaiah 44, 22, he says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, like a cloud your sins. He's blocked them out. He's blotted them out. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. 
Don't let the enemy remind you of your past. Don't let the enemy remind you of your failures and your sins and the things you've done wrong. If you've done like First John says, if you confess your sins, he is right and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you do that, if it's under the blood, he has forgotten what you've done. It's not even in the book anymore. All he sees is the blood of the Lamb. So don't let the enemy remind you of your sins or your past or your mistakes. Oh, he will. He'll get into your head. He'll get into your ear. He'll try to beat you down. But I will tell you this. I share this today with somebody in an email. If the thoughts you hear and feel bring pain and condemnation, they're not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and correction. But he doesn't bring condemnation. He doesn't bring pain. See, all of this was about love. It was about redemption. Whether it was from Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to to David or any of the, the, the people and the great people of faith in Hebrews 11, all the way through all the prophets up to Yeshua himself and then onward to us. It's been about love. been about redemption. It's been about relationship. Whenever I visualize him forming Adam on the clay of the ground and making him into a man and then breathing life into him, I see it as intimately. I see him as right there, almost right on top of it. Wanting to be face-to-face, nose-to-nose when those eyes opened. That's how I see my father. And see, I didn't know that from personal experience. My earthly father was not a good man. I don't know what he was like at the end of his life when he died. He left when I was young, six or seven, first to second grade. Never heard of from him again, never saw him again. I pray that you got saved, healed, and delivered and left this world redeemed, but I don't know. The man I know was abusive, physically, emotionally, verbally. He was an adulterer. He was not somebody I would want to be like, so I'm pretty, pretty blessed that he left when he did. I don't remember any love from him. I don't remember any compassion. I don't remember any affection from him. You know, and taking that visual of Adam and God face to face, the only face to face moment I remember, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, as we were in the backyard in Connecticut where we lived and we had this little wading pool and he was dunking me. And then at one point he dunked me. And held me under. And as I'm kicking and screaming and fighting for air, I can just see this little smirk on his face. And it took my mother beating him off of me to get me out from under the water. Now, I don't know if he actually would have drowned me. Probably not. But he was trying to instill fear in me. He was trying to pass on to me probably what had been passed on to him. But see... That's not my father anymore. My Abba Father's in heaven. It's his blood that runs through my veins now through his son, Yeshua. I've been redeemed. I've been restored into right relationship. And not to Adam, but to Yeshua. Because the first Adam, while good, wasn't good enough. It's the second Adam the perfect one that I come from. That's why in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they, they, the people there, the redeemed people, began to sing a new song. 
saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You and I are redeemed. Judgment is still coming. But when it comes, I do not believe the church will be here. I do not believe we will experience the time of Jacob's trouble. I believe all of those who've had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and accepted Yeshua as Messiah, including our Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters, will be snatched out of harm's way. For once again, Hasatan and the fallen and their demonic offspring will be roaming the earth doing what they do, and there'll be men and women and countries and nations submitted to them, committing evil with them. But I know who I serve. I know whose son I am. See, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah did these things because of God's love. Noah was an heir to Adam's relationship with the Lord God. And from Noah, we flash forward almost 2,800 years to the birth of Yeshua. And the amazing thing to me is for 2,800 years, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh Elohim, the creator of the universe, cared enough to honor his covenant with Noah to us until he could create a better covenant through the blood of the Lamb. See, if you understand that, then you'll understand 1 John 4, 19 better. We love him because he first loved us. Until the cross, when God looked at us, it was based upon his relationship with Adam, which was broken, And until Yeshua came, he couldn't be with us, couldn't walk with us in the cool of the evening. He needed a way. He was going to have to do it again. He was going to have to take it upon himself. And then he did on the cross. And now, when he looks at you and me, he looks at us based upon our relationship with his son. That is the genesis of love. It all traces back to Genesis. This line, this string of redemption and love and everything until the end. That's why I say to you that as I've studied this and looked at Genesis and Noah and the days of Noah, I could talk about evil. I could talk about perversions. Oh, my goodness. Every day we see it more and more. I could talk about the sin and the debauchery and everything the fallen are doing in society. I could, but I'm not going to. Why? Because all it does is remind me how much he loves us. Because he did it then, and he's doing it now. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to me. Come home. Come home, get on this side of the wall. Get on this side of things. Get on this side of the hedge. Come over here with me where it's safe. I love you. I don't want you to go through this. I don't want you to endure what they're going to do and then what I'm going to do to them. No matter where you are right now in your walk, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what good things, horrible things. I don't know what you're going through. Some of them, some of you share them with me, and I do my best to give you his word and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. But I will tell you this, if you ever get lost, go back to the cross. If you've lost your way and you're off the path and the compass no longer works and the map is torn, go back to the cross. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where you know the good way begins. 
And from the cross, he'll take you to the empty tomb to remind you he is Messiah. He is Savior. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is none like him. And then go to the upper room. Find your brothers and sisters and be filled with the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, from the throne room itself so that you can feel that love. You can hear his voice. You can walk with him in the cool of the evening. You can know what he's thinking. And that when you feel like a failure or you think that life has passed you by or all the plans were, were wrong, you can hear him say to you, I love you. I'm with you. Trust me. Father, I pray that your children would hear this. I pray that they would know the genesis of your love. I pray that they would know the the resurrection of that love and why you did what you did. Holy Spirit, I ask you to give them the answers they seek. Take them to the Word. Take them in dreams or visions. Do whatever you need to do to stop the torment of their heart and their mind. If need be, heal their bodies. But Lord, the greatest thing that they could learn tonight from this, from me, is how much you love them. To know you as Abba Father, Papa God, Daddy. To know you as Lord, as Adonai, as Savior, Master, Teacher, Brother, Friend, everything. You are my everything. You are our everything. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray I've done the job. Enemy tried to stop us, took three times to get on the air. I'm not sure what that was all about, but I wouldn't give up. I almost did. I almost said the heck with it. I heard the Lord say, try one more time, and I did, and it clicked through. Keep trying. Keep reaching out. Keep clicking through. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.